This is Jim Pruitt, and you listen to another episode of the Farm So Hard podcast. So I farm so hard, the employees want to find me, and then want to hire me. What's 100K to a guy like me? Could you please remind me? Farm so hard, this ain't easy. Working late nights, you best believe me. My grades can only go ace. Never want to see another B unless I'm Jay-Z. Farm so hard, let's get paid. Welcome to another episode of Farm So Hard. Uh, this is a, a live episode. Is basically where we do a weekly catch up. Me and Jimmy just kind of talk about what's going on in pharmacy, what's going on in our current roles, kind of share what projects. So hopefully this, you know, sparks some other future guests, folks kind of hop on and share what's going on during their week. Some projects they're working on, some personal experiences that we can all kind of share and how we help advance the profession at the same time, as well as our well-beings, right? Absolutely. So, so- Go ahead and tell them what, what the what the title of this new episode is going to be. For all of our Farm So Harders, you know we had to do it for you guys. Let's go ahead and just let, let them know. This is going to be uh, our monthly trap-up. You know what I'm that's saying? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, the, it's not the wrap-up. It's not a typo when y'all see it. It's the, it's the, <laughs> the monthly trap-up. Yeah, just to talk about what's going on. Only way um, we again, do it Farm So Hard. <laughs> Yeah, and again, let's introduce myself. My name's uh, Oscar Santalo. I'm the pharmacy operations manager at University of Florida Health in Leesburg, and of course, the co-host with the most. Uh, Who I are am you, sir? Jim Pruitt, aka PharmD in the ED, and of course, I'm an emergency medicine clinical specialist at the lovely MUSC in beautiful Charleston, South Carolina with a little retainer, you know, deal that I have going on at Grady Health System. So I, I like to say I have the best two jobs in the whole world. So super thankful. Shout out to my employers. You guys are the, are the best. Yeah, man. And we'll kind of get right to it, man. Jimmy, what's going on for you this week, man? How's work right now? Man, uh, definitely getting back on site. Just getting in and getting back on the projects. You know, this month I felt like I've been really working from home and trying to figure out things right Right now, work-wise, just residency, <laughs> residency applications, residency interviews, residency ranking. That's been a, a monster. You know, my the biggest thing for me when I, I recently transitioned, you know, to MUSC was to get more involved in the residency program and definitely been <laughs> involved in that with all the meetings, the the rankings, the just trying to figure out the best candidate for our facility and just growing the program you know i created a new uh, i guess i couldn't call it a rotation but a new new experience from my toxicology standpoint so that's been new and that's been taking a lot of effort to get our admin people on board with that (laughs) i I can tell you how (laughs) um so back up a step so jimmy you had the beautiful luxury at working in a couple different programs and understanding the ranking process of each a little bit would you say that three different spots are similar and how uh, they rank or specific to the site? I think it's, I think it's, it's very interesting. I think it's more the same when I was in Atlanta compared to why I'm at, at, at USC because it's still emergency medicine PGY2 compared to, you know, I, I didn't have the luxury to be as involved and it was a PGY1 program that the ranking and interviewing was for. So I think it was really different, but I would say from, you know, from Atlanta to to Charleston, it's been very similar because they're both two EM programs. So uh, some similar things, but there's like a few different things. And COVID definitely <laughs> made it a little different because you have an entire component 
of the interview that <laughs> you don't get to, to have. Like uh, I had like a hands-on activity when I was at, and I was at Grady. And of course, there's none of that here. So it's, it's been challenging to see that component of it, especially being EM, where I would say I can argue that we're the most hands-on specialty right now within pharmacy. So uh, that part was a little challenging. No, I agree with that. Um, just so the guys know, like in terms of like, I guess what programs, do, like where do you guys differentiate in terms of programs and rotations at MUSC versus some of the other programs? Are you, are you meaning like different, like the critical care versus the PGY-1, like the different programs that come down to the ED or you know, my involvement in those other programs? I'm just talking about like, like what kind of experiences like does your emergency department like kind of offer, especially to those residents? Oh, just like for my EM, you know, you're going to have through your traditional adult ED at, at our site. And then we also have a pediatric hospital that we cover as well. Uh, so you have that rotation. Of course, you're going to have a variety of ICU rotations from surgical ICU, med- medical surgery I- ICU, just shock trauma, uh, CVICU, CCU. So it's a variety of different neuro ICU. So you, you can select a couple of those as you get your selective rotations. But it's so many <laughs> from an ICU standpoint that, you know, you have your your bunch to pick from. And something I've been heavily involved in uh, recently is our toxicology experience and providing that, you know, from a, something that was more longitudinal to pr- pr- bringing to the resident a toxicologist. and doing an intensive course. So that's been the, the challenge recently. I'm, I'm happy things are wrapping up in a, in a good manner, but those are our, our, our big experiences that we have at MUSC. And it's been, you know, really fortunate to see the different things that we can provide in different avenues. And I'm fortunate to where in the ER, we have three different locations. So I have three different like towers, so to say. So I have my, uh, the, the main hospital, so to say, and then uh, I would say up two blocks down the road, we have our Ashley River Tower Hospital, which is same MUSC, same deal, same physician, same nursing staff. We basically just jog over there when there is, you know, a sick patient or anything like that that needs our help. And then we have the Sean Jenkins Children's Hospital, which we cover the pediatrics as well. So, it's, it's challenging, but I think it's also interesting to have three different sites that we manage. And if from a, a learner standpoint, it allows us to give you, you know, an experience at a completely separate and isolated institution, but all under the same umbrella of MUSC. So that's pretty cool. It's challenging at times to physically get there when it's raining and Charleston floods <laughs> and you have a patient that's coding, you know, at a, at a place that's, you know, three minutes sprinting away you know, three to five minutes sprinting away, but it's, I think it's pretty interesting. No, nah, man, that's dope, dude. What do you got going um, on? Man? I got quite a few things on the administrative side going on. So as an administrator, we do like a lot of projects, obviously, right? And a good mm-hmm. portion of our work's HR related. So like that's kind of shaking itself up now since COVID showed out a little bit. So a lot of it's just, you know, monitoring and training staff, that kind of thing. Um, but one thing I enjoy doing is like monitoring our initiatives. One to make sure that the, are they still working? Like any like cost reduction strategies, I go back and I monitor. And I, and meanwhile, I'm doing that. I have new goal lives every day. So I was looking at 
you know, on no, this past November, we went to Ivy Push Antibiotics. Um, let me just actually back up a step there. So a lot of my initial projects in my new role, so I've been here for officially a year. I'm basically just trying to stuff the Pixis machine, man. <laughs> I don't have the resources that a lot of these larger health systems have. So I really try to do my best to alleviate the workload in my central pharmacy. You know, and on top of that, I actually worked on switching our practice model to where we're actually now a decentralized model. Okay. So if you want to, if you want to picture a 350 bed hospital pharmacy in the nineties, that's how I was. That's how it was when I, when I got there and now we're in a decentralized model, putting medication fixes machines. So some of the projects I was working on is like how we get some of these meds in those machines, you know, mm-hmm. how you push antibiotics. Um, so I'm monitoring that was able to see a cost reduction in that which is pretty sweet. Um, a lot of organizational politics. You can assume yeah. all that work. Um, again, like nurses are your friends. Nurses are your oh, best yeah. friends. Even though that they're frustrated, try to understand the source of why they're frustrated and try to be as proactive as possible because you'd be surprised. Because want to know how I got Ivy Push approved? Jimmy, let me tell you how I got that approved. <laughs> I knew that they did not want to do Ivy Push. <laughs> so I presented the option where they can cap antibiotics, kind of like <laughs> what we did at Avon Health, yeah. right? Put the vials in the machines. So I did a proposal. I met with the nursing directors, but beforehand I kind of did some wooing. You know, I met with all them beforehand, talked to them, like, you know, like, what are your pain points? They're like, yeah, I want the meds in the machine. And I'm like, you know, I need push. You know what I'm saying? Like, we can do it and get it up there. And what's funny was that after meeting with them, they're essentially just like, you know, which one's going to get the med, make all the meds in the machine, which one's going to save us the most money. And I said, I need push. And they kind of went for it. Yeah, which is pretty amazing. So imagine just like years and years of resistance, just kind of pitching to what they wanted. So that was pretty sweet. So monitoring the actual cost reduction and that. So it's like making sure like I'm holding myself accountable. Right. And you should, and you share the information with the team too. And that's, that's one fault that a lot of leaders don't do. We, we drop all these projects on people, but we don't really show that we don't show the team like the scorecards the metrics like, Hey, cause of the initiative, cause you're doing what we're asking you to do. You're actually helping us save money. You're saving the patient money. And it kind of, I feel like it re-energizes the team, yeah. you know, to kind of get buying for other future initiatives. Um, yeah. And one about of the other- that is like getting the nursing staff, like getting to where you can understand what the bedside nurses want. And I'm fortunate where I spend probably 90 plus percent of my time with the nurses so I feel like their frustrations are my frustrations. And I think that's been one of the, the cool things to see how if 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 administration from a pharmacy standpoint can work with the bedside nurses and the nursing educators and the nursing managers to get to the, the end user, I feel like everyone wins because, you know, alleviating central pharmacy resources is a, a must. Uh, and then with you decentralizing on top of that, that's just that's a major major project to get done. So kudos to you for that. Yeah. So, and you actually, and thank you. And you'll what's funny was that, you know, it was decentralized where we put our pharmacists. So, you know, like the EDs, I'm not going to lie. Turnaround times weren't that great. Um, So putting a pharmacist in the ED slam dunk, basically took the same expectations. Like, Hey, we're going to try to verify the orders within less than 15 minutes. Um, They can still override it. Like they always do, we have to go back and audit it because that's what's recommended versus all the compliance mumbo jumbo. Um, so in addition to that, just making sure that 
we're representing pharmacy, improving our turnaround times, but really meeting with them, like what drugs are in the machine. That's actually something I got doing overnights yeah. over at South because the nurses would tap you like, hey, can you verify the product that's in the machine? So I don't have to wait on pharmacy to do it. So it's like little pixel optimization things, thinking about like drips, like what drips y'all need down there that you don't have to wait for us to compound. Like basal pressing, I'm still going to cringe. I'm probably not still going to put that in the pickles <laughs> machine. <laughs> the basal pressing isn't really stat, but I know you need it in a timely manner, you know, but we can still talk. But, um, and I think just being able to build that relationship with the nurses or even the nurse leaders and on the spot, they ask for something, you fix it and you instantly get that win. Yeah. Um, because here's the problem is that once you don't follow through or get the meds down there on time, then that's their expectation that they're not going to get the meds down there on time. They're going to keep calling central. And then before you know it, the clinical specialist like yourself is going to be pointing fingers at the central staff <laughs> and you don't, and you don't want to kind of have that divide because you get it. Like you staff in century staff in the AD, both of you guys get it. So it's just making sure all the processes are streamlined yeah. and the pixels are optimized and you're kind of just making sure the right things are being ordered. Right. And I'm happy you, you, you mentioned that because I think it's something that's like not talked about a lot this unfortunate divide with the specialists and the staff pharmacists and there are so many different tiers to this and you know the residency trade people or the pgy2 trade people compared to you know pgy1 or, or non-residency training depending on the location of where you're at and your in your model you know those things may or may not apply to you but i think it's something that happens quite a bit and the only way I think that I'm fortunate to to deal with it because the nature of an ER pharmacist is you have to do both. Um, you have to basically be involved in distribution and heavily involved in the clinical aspect of things. And even I would add on there, I always joke around my nurses and say I'm I'm, I'm one fifth nurse for some of the things that I, I do at the bedside. So, and, and you took a pharmacology class. Yeah. <laughs> Just this for you guys don't know. I think one of the biggest uh, the biggest thing that came around the first time I was in the ER back in PGY one, and we had started staffing in the ED overnight. Uh, a nurse was thanking me for being there overnight, and she also just said, "You know, I don't know why you guys have to be down here. You know, I know what I'm doing. I took a pharmacology class and." <laughs> That I think I, I never, it's been years now, and I would never forget that. It's like I took a pharmacology class, so that, that should be a tattoo. That actually should be our like podcast slogan. <laughs> you know, we took a pharmacology class, it's yeah. It's, it's just crazy. So I'll always remember, you know, like man, Jimmy, you wasted those years of pharmacy school, residency, and all those things, and these years of experience. You know, you should have just took the pharmacology class, you'd been fine. But uh, that's just it's just a, a fun joke. But it's interesting that that, that concept is to come back to what we're talking about. It's like there's naturally been a divide, man. And I, I, I hear about it, you know, and I, I want to see like from your standpoint, how, do, how does that pay out? You've been at different facilities as well about the specialists or the clinical pharmacists compared to the staff pharmacists. And this sometimes it's not the the blame game when it comes to why the patient is not serviced the best way from a pharmaceutical standpoint. So like from an operation standpoint, and this is like where my pet peeve is, is that a lot of times in ops, 
we put band-aids on things and that could be your tech, your pharmacist in charge don't actually fix the root of the problem. So it's being able to have access to your operations leader or even as a pick, like try to recognize the root of the problem because if this med, is it this one med's always late or it's the time it's ordered or it's who ordered it, you know, or is it a power plant issue? Because you'd be surprised, like just the order set just sets mm-hmm. everyone up for failure, you know, or is it the pharmacist verifying the order? So for example, in good old Cerner, you know, it's <laughs> Jimmy, it's 840. You verify med, it's due at nine o'clock. So guess what? <laughs> You're expecting this technician to a pharmacist appropriately verify the drug, have the technician batch it, have it checked and tube down there, but wait the tube stations down to get it all down there in 20 minutes or to have, likely it's an expensive med. So that your one triage technician at one tower has to go run it down to the ED in less than 20 minutes. It's unrealistic. Yeah. So a lot of times we set ourselves over failure. So from an op standpoint, it's really just trying to get to the root of the problem. That's one. And in terms of the divide, and in my opinion, I feel like all specialists, you know, in general do need a staff, at least initially trained in operations, just so that you know how it works, how the PIXIS or automated dispensing cabinet devices work, how the inventory works, um, just so that, you know, you, the clinical specialists are set up for success. And even as well as the guys in operations, like they need to know what times you guys are around. So I know, you know what, I need to really need to get in the queue because you're going to start getting med requests if my guys are still rounding. So like having that communication, which I think where we were previously, they've done a better job communicating. I know some other hospitals, like they rotate, like mm-hmm. even though they are specialists, everyone has a rotation. Um, I'm not for or against it. Like me, I feel like you need to develop people, make sure that, they feel really comfortable in one area and you kind of cross train and have a backup. I don't think rotating, it's like basically having like your best quarterback rotate at strong safety. It's not always going to work. Yeah. You know, like every quarterback for a little bit, if you want to mess them around that wide receiver in the slot, you know, I'll talk about college football here, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you, you could, or wildcat it, whatever. So you could do those kind of things. So I, I think just really explaining the operations, you'd be surprised like how many pharma students don't understand the operations and their residents and because they're going in the residency, yeah. they're focusing on their clinical skills. So they don't really have a good foundation of pharmacy operations so, like, I have two new um, clinical staff pharmacists, so they kind of float between clinical and central. Mm-hmm. And I sit down with them, like, hey, here are our batches. This is how it works. So if a nurse is calling about this drug in this batch, that batch isn't due for, like, six hours. So you're good. Yeah. And just explaining them that expectation. And that that's something that I think it's reasonable, like, to ask. Yeah. Like, how does the operations work? How the batches work? When's Pixis replenishment? Is Pixis replenishment stat? No keyword replenishment. Eventually load it in a timely manner. So basically, some of what I do with to kind of prevent the divide is you know initially everyone staffs is picked for a couple times. They get a feel for the ops, and I train them personally, hands on. So like what set my expectations as an administrator, and that's where yeah. I think as leaders we kind of set clinical specialists or just in general not for success just because of we let other clinical, we let other people train our guys, but they don't understand what our expectations are. Yeah. And, and it's kind of like playing like telephone. Like, yeah, this is what Oscar thinks he wants you to do. Yeah. You know? And like, no, like I'll sit with them. Like, no, like when you're staffing, you need to be in the Pixis server. You need to have the inventory management software up 
when a nurse calls, you need to check first if that meds in the PIXIS device, not punch out a missing med request, because that causes delayed care. It increases workload for the central pharmacy staff, and you're going to get phone calls. Yeah. At the end of the day, you don't want to get phone calls. Why? Because you're in order. You're going to ask for a mistake to happen. You know, so yeah, that's my, that's my so. That's my soapbox. I think it's pretty cool because, again, I'm on the opposite end of it. And, and of course, the fact that I'm, I'm I'm a specialist, but at the same time, I would say a large percent of my job is more operational than other specialists. And one of the things that I try to work on and some of the things that I do, the entire like pharmacy fraud, they pearl kind of, you know, project came to help edu- educate other pharmacists. And what I found was that the people who really appreciated it was our staff pharmacists because they would say, oh, I remember you sent that email. That's a a, a handout front and back. And now I know why you're coming up and grabbing Case Centra and not waiting. I see why you want like a few of these drugs. I understand that, oh, that's a mortality benefit from getting this drug in a certain time frame. Or, you know, this is something that you need. And there's a, a way that we can educate our team you know, from a, a clinical standpoint, but also finding ways, like you're saying, from an operational standpoint to educate everyone else to understand how this flows. Because my thing is this, I'm not going to put extra strain on my decentralized pharmacist or my central pharmacist. If it's something that I can do, and I'm I'm fortunate that my institutions allow me to do such, and I'm fortunate that I have a, a decent understanding because I staff you know, I, I've staffed in Central, I've staffed in, uh, in ICU, and I'm fortunate that our training <laughs> allowed us to have a significant amount of staffing in in these different different areas that if there's something that I need that I know that is located, if the order is in, I'm just going to call and say, hey, I'm going to come pick this up. I don't want to disturb you. I just want you to know when I come in, I'm this is the, the label that I need, and I'll, I know where the med is. So I think understanding where the medications are located in our areas, understanding can they be compounded at the bedside or do they need to be compounded in the IV room and understanding what's a, you know, a medication that can be used within one hour compared to if, if you're having to go and inject five times in a vial to make a, a drip, that's not you know the preferred thing to do. So I think it's, there's a few different things to do. And I think to help the situation out where we can educate our team to understanding what's that and what's not and what's, you know, important for us. And I, I can only speak from the ED standpoint, but understanding how to get the, and I, it's all the same thing. My, my, my famous quote I always say is how to get the, the information from brain to vein. And as a specialist, <laughs> it can be, it can be close to your brain first, but to get it to the patient's vein, it needs to come from, it needs to come from some, a pharmacy, you know, distribution or logistics standpoint. Yeah, man. Like, I'll tell you what, I know ED pharmacists know how to pull a med from a PICS device. I don't, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how many internal medicine pharmacists can actually do that. Oh, man. I'm uh, like so in tune with PICS, OmniCell, AccuDose. <laughs> like, those are my, those, I can run a report in a heartbeat, man. That's like go. my, because like my thing is this is a, uh, I love being an ED pharmacist because like we're right there. We don't like, we're, we're not in an office. We don't round for a period of time. And, and this is no, no shot, no, anything to any other pharmacist. It's just what we do, but we're there. Like I'm in an ED 90% of my time. Like I have like some topic discussions. I may go to the office for a second, but like if a patient comes in, they need a bed. My nursing staff is not going to say, Oh, I'm going to just call someone else. Like Jimmy, where's the meds? <laughs> I got to figure it out. 
and or the mm-hmm. OmniCell's messing up with the Mets in it, Jimmy, fix it. So I, I encourage you guys that are on the floors and, you know, if you're sitting on a unit, if you know those things, I think it, especially from the Akidos and the automatic dispense cabinet, if you know those inside and out, man, it'd be a huge asset, not just to your nursing staff, but to your, to your, you know, administration team. Because I did OmniCell optimization at two different locations, you know, yeah. went through seeing what was getting sent from Central Pharmacy, got the top 30 items, figure out can they be loaded in the, in the OmniCell, took the least 30, you know, least used things in the OmniCell, took those out and, and put them up there, did a, a nice swap. And we saw a decrease in tubes and a decrease in the amount of, of shipments that had come from Central Pharmacy. And that's that's great for your 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 numbers on your end for productivity and logistics. Well, you need to put a dollar sign on that because you probably saved on waste redispenses, yeah. right? Um, one thing I was going to tell you too, like in optimization, and this is a nugget for everybody, PIXs are whatever, ADC optimization. It's not a one-stop shop. It's mm-hmm. like a process improvement. You're constantly working on it. Let me tell you why, Jimmy. My hospital is a 350-bed hospital, but only 290 of my beds are private beds. Mm-hmm. So we're not testing every patient as they come in, only they present with COVID symptoms, mm. right? So guess how many hold patients I have? Like my ED is crazy <laughs> right now. Jimmy, I have to, I had to load maintenance meds over there. Yeah. And I was like, surprised me. What's like, I'm seeing med requests from like three different patients, like 10 meds going to the ED. And I'm like, what is going on? So it's like little things like that. Just like trying to be proactive and keep an eye on it to make sure. Cause like, you don't want to delay care. Any yeah. further, you have a patient here and still in the ED greater than 24 hours just waiting for a bed. And I just flabbergasted, man. Yeah. Um, I know you keep talking about ED stuff, India. Are there any like clinical projects you're working on right now? I think for me, everything's really been focused on just uh uh I think recently came up the, the issue of push dose pressors. And this is something that is not just ED. I had a conference call earlier and talking about the PEDS, my entire PEDS hospital, you know, from a PICU standpoint, from an OR standpoint, um, in the ICU, like all the different areas there about, for one, what to even call a push dose presser. The pediatric literature like to say spritzers, you know, everyone has a different <laughs> name, diluted epi. And what's the best way to, for one, dose those products, prepare those products, and it really gets interesting where we start talking about having something that your pharmacy batch. So it's like, I personally believe that if you're, if check your utilization and see if it's something that's happening, but I think that everyone should have some sort of premix, push those presser, whether it's epi or phenylephrine available. If you don't have like, well, even if you do, I'm sorry, even if you, if you do have premix norepinephrine, Epi, dopamine, all those things. It's just a temporizing agent. Again, I know there's some pharmacists out there that would completely disagree with me because they don't don't believe and push those pressures in general. But if your team is using it, the best way to do it is prevent your physician and nursing staff from compounding those things at the bedside and then using them. So we had a huge talk about that today about whether we should, you know, have them well, how should we dose them and should it be pre-mixed and then what concentrations, you know, what's going to be in the label, 
Are we going to put them in the Omni sale? And just for my clerk, I read up on like, can you give me an example of an idea situation when you would use a push dose presser? Absolutely. Over so, some of the premix are compounded. Absolutely. So if you have a, um, a patient who's getting intubated and we know for the most part around peri-intubation, you want to have a systolic blood pressure traditionally a close to a hundred at least. But again, the process of intubation and the medications that we, we administer would temporarily cause hypotension. But there's data supporting that increased mortality, increased chance of cardiac arrest if your blood pressure drops below a certain amount in that little 15 to 20 minute window. So you don't necessarily need an infusion and you don't want to increase the amount of waste by having an infusion for 30 minutes, but a push those presser that lasts from like five to 10 minutes, depending on how you give it, can get you through that time period without the harm of having to put a central line in to have a you know, norepinephrine infusion. So it's just something to get you through that window. Or if you have a patient who your nurse is running to the Omni cell to get norepinephrine, a lot of shops I'm realizing now they don't have pre-mixed vasopressors. So why your team is mixing that? And I'll tell you why, because of COVID and utilization, these 503Bs, well, one major 503B just got shut down yeah. earlier this year. And that's for medium. And that kind of killed a lot of people and it was very hard to get API for norepinephrine yeah. or even all the failed batches that it's going on. So we've been compound. We, we historically we're using premix norepinephrine. Now we're having to compound much of that ourselves. Yeah. Um, the vials are four, they come in four milligram vials. So I can imagine, you know, you just use the same concentration as the yeah. vial. Yeah. Wouldn't you guys, is there a scenario where you guys could bolus the presser from the bag? If you compounded at bedside? Again, that's that's not something that we traditionally would do. Um, the concentration is similar, but not the same. Um, for, for Epi in particular, I've seen Epi. I've been in I've, in the last three months. I've been in three different institutions, and all of their Epis have different concentrations. <laughs> that part is true. Mine is right now five and two fifty, and I mm-hmm. scratch my head. I don't, what's yours right now? I think I think my, I'm a five here. My previous place, I think it was. I think it was eight. And then before that, it was four. So eight, so four, five, and eight milligrams per 250. And there is also orders for, you know, double concentrated and quadruple concentrated. So there are so many ways that it could go wrong (laughs) when it comes to that. Push those pressures, on the other hand, is closer to a diluted coat dose. So we're talking like 10 mics per ml. So what people were doing, and I did a workshop on this at, um, at, at, a, at a conference in Georgia, and you would take an epi, a coat dose epi, take one, M out, one ml off there, put it in a, a flush or nine mls of normal saline, and that's your push dose, and that's the concentration that people were used to. The reason that became interesting was because you can give like 0.5 to 2 mls, and you can get yourself anywhere from 5 to 20 micrograms. And what I'm what I found out more today was even in your pediatric population, that lower range, that 0.5 to one will still get you a evidence based dosing for some of your pediatric patients. It'll be a little bit more than the one mic per kilo that they talked about for your, your, your small patients. But as you got above like five to five to 10 kilogram patients, it became within a dosing window. And the great part about that was the higher get two ml 20 microgram dose went a long way in our bigger pediatric patients and that's the same dosing that we'll use in our adult patients as well 
So you got to a point to where you don't necessarily need an infusion. And the crazy part is I realized that most most administrators and most pharmacists that don't uh, are not predominantly at the bedside, they don't notice it's happening. <laughs> they don't know because there's no order for it. So if there's no order, there's no product, they're just making it. They're so cracking open cold parts. So that's what my CVOR does. Like they make some drips, mm-hmm. but they kind of use it as a push dose presser. Like they kind of like, I already give this guy a little bit of, mm-hmm. well, you know, it's not a presser, but a little bit of nitro, not back off, actually give him some epi. So they kind of do some variation of that, which I yeah. hope like you guys, whatever you guys publish something on it. Yeah. That'd be pretty great, man. Yeah. So it's like s- simple stuff like that, man, is what I've been working on and trying to figure out. I'm, I'm, I'm getting more involved in the Pete side. Again, I haven't been involved as I, as I, I possibly can again, physical location. So working on that, but um, yeah, that's been something I'm working on. Um, I got a case report that I'm trying to do for flecking out toxicity. Um, and just still getting accustomed to the new environment, man. Really, that's from a work standpoint. Those are the the big things that we're working on. Um, non-work pharmacy pearls, man, has been my <laughs> it's been my my night and day for the last like two months. Nah, I'm pretty sure um, our audience, or our fans, like they they appreciate all the nuggets you you're putting out there. So, and I appreciate it. Yeah, this is the way, I man. I've I'm really. For it's the Pharmacy Pearls website redesign and the launch of and stuff like that, I'm really looking at it now where I've had great success from my knowledge base from producing those things. And now I want to create a platform that was just a clean, good looking educational website, and a great project for my trainees to get involved with and different individuals across because it's not just ED. It's, you know, ICU, toxicology, it's internal medicine, it's anything that can be a pharmacy pearl. It's not like EM pharmacy Friday pearl, it's like a pharmacy pearl in general. So the best part about this was been getting residents and getting different people involved because you learn so much by producing it. And then you share it with, you share it with now, you know, close close to a thousand people and 11 different countries I found out today. (laughs) So you're, yeah, you're you're spreading information to, you know, thousands of people and you're learning from making them. And then other people are learning from having something that's a quick reference where you have two, three pages of information on a particular topic that you want to study. And now I have residents who not only did one, but they're also using that on job interviews. They're using that to prep work for their seminars. And it's like all these different things has been such a such a blessing for, you know, not just me, but I've really been happy about the impact it's had on other pharmacists who's created some of these handouts and for pharmacists who's been able to receive it and dig deeper from this initial, like, you know, summary. No, it's awesome, man. And you know what, man, we'll wrap up with that, with a boat mm-hmm. for the trap up. <laughs> My man. Perfect, um, man. Yeah, man. So I really hope we do more of these just catching up. We keep learning from each other and I hope our audience learns along with us. Um, every healthcare drops on a dime. So what I'm working on this week on the admin side, it's going to be a whole other <laughs> set of priorities next week. It's a day-to-day thing. And I may be able to share like, how do I deal with those kind of competing priorities and things like that. But for right now, um, Oscar Santalo and I'm with, my co-hostess with the mostest. Oh, I'm D and ED, baby. And you know how we say, man, 
You don't have to work in the ED. You don't hurt working the hospital, but everything you do, make sure you farm so hard. Peace. Uh, keep, keep farming hard. Late. Please get out of here. Please get out of here.